So we started uh, this series last week called uh, Take Back Your Life. Um, and I told you that it came from a book written by a, a minister out in Montana, Wyoming uh, area named Levi Lusco. And the reason I'm preaching is because it was so impactful on me because I think just the circumstances and everything that's happened uh, really in the last year have made many of us feel like those dry bones that, that, that we sang about um, earlier. Like we just don't have any life uh, left in us. Like everything has been stripped uh, away from us. And so, so as I was reading this book, I thought, man, yes, that's what I need to do is to take uh, back my life. And what it means is we're trying to take back control from the things that, that we've given into that are not long-term gonna make us happy. Because so often what we do is we try to find these short-term fixes for us to make us feel better, to get us through the day, to get us through the week. But what we want is not something that's going to just be a short-term fix. We want something that's going to last. And so as we continue uh, in this, I wanna remind you, kind of last week we talked about that this, uh, I believe, is just a time of, of testing, that we are being tested for it. Um, there, there's a saying that uh, these, are, these are times that try men's souls. Um, and so we're trying to come to a place where we're passing the test, where we're moving forward and being the person that God wants us to be. And the Bible doesn't tell, it tells us that God doesn't test us to destroy us. Like that's not the goal. He tests us to prove the work that he's capable of doing in our lives and inside our hearts. If you have a Bible uh, right there where, where you're at, uh, you could turn to Matthew chapter six. And I'm gonna title this sermon, it's called Sight for Sore Eyes. Uh, Sight for Sore Eyes. And this would be a perfect time to hit the share button if you're watching on Facebook or send a link to uh, someone that, that's uh, a friend of yours for YouTube. Uh, whether you're watching this now or sometime later on in the week, um, and find a friend, pick a friend that, that you know that needs to be encouraged by the word of God and send this to them. So when I say sight for sore eyes, what, I, what I'm conjuring up in my mind is this image of someone that you haven't seen for a while. Like some of you, like you're back in, in service for the first time in, in many weeks. And for me, like you're a sight for sore eyes. Like I, I love seeing you here. Um, it's refreshing to me to, to, to see you here. And I think that over the next couple months and, and weeks that there are gonna be a lot of those types of reconnections for, for many of us that because of proximity or the difficulty of travel or the, the fear of spreading a, a, a disease, that it's, at some point this is all going to lift and we're going to be able to see and enjoy people that we haven't been able to see in a long time. And it's gonna be a sight for, for sore eyes. And the topic of eyes you know, comes up again and again throughout the scripture. It comes up again and again in the Bible because it's so important what we see. Well, it's so important of, of what we even say about the things that, that we see or how we respond to the things that, that we feel. And Jesus speaks directly to this topic in Matthew chapter six. It's a very famous passage. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Can anybody guess why? He preached it on a mountain. Now, like, like that's why. But Matthew uh, chapter six, verse 22 says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's the truth. 
in our lives, we don't see the full story. We see what we, what we wanna see. And because that's true, we make the mistake of much of reality. We assume that, that, that this is all that there is. You know, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, old book, great book though, says this, we see the world not as it is, but as we are or as we're conditioned to see it. The reality though is that this world is mostly made up of what we cannot see because God and angels and demons and eternity and the true story is there. And part of the reason we can't see it is because we live in this fallen state of sin that we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, the Bible says that we need to start seeing things in a spiritual way, not in a physical way. And, and, and what we can see is not what's eternal. It's the unseen that is eternal. And so what we need to do is ask ourselves, what, what spots am I blind to? Where do I have blind spots? What am I, what am I missing? You know, what are the, the squiggly lines they're forming that, that I'm not seeing because it's connecting the dots somewhere? And we all know that, that we are what we eat. Right? And currently right now, I'm little Debbie's, I don't know. <laughs> but because everything that we eat becomes part of us. But the truth is that what we see and how we see it also determines who we are, determines how we live. And David knew this. He said this in Psalm 101. He said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I think we all need to be careful what we watch. Like, what am I taking in? What, what movies am I watching? What am I bringing through my eyes that, that I, maybe I should be shunning? And I said, that, of course, I'm, I'm talking about wicked things. Like David said, he said, no, uh, another translation in there would say, vile or vulgar things will cross my eyes. But listen, it's not just the bad things that get in our way. You know, last week we talked about that, that the guy that was supposed to guard the guy, it wasn't that he was bad, it was just that he was busy. And I think sometimes we just consume our minds with worthless things. And David even would address that in Psalm 119. He said, turn my eyes from worthless things and revive me again in your ways. See, God wants us not just to avoid the wicked things, but the worthless things, things that are just holding us back. Because the, uh, there's an old saying, says the windows are the eyes of the soul. Jesus put it this way, it says the eyes are the lamp of, of the body. And what that means is that what you see will impact you. What you see and what you make sense of in, in reality that you're living in, like that's the story that you're writing and it will impact your life, but not only your life, because what a lamp does is it impacts the people around you as well. And now as Jesus put it, he's describing a person whose body is impacted. And essentially he says um, his whole life is impacted because of his vision. And Jesus was talking spiritual as he often does. His spiritual vision or the lack thereof. You know, there are a couple of ways to uh, bump into things in your room. And as you're walking through your house, there are, there are a couple of ways to smack into something. And one way would be for there not to be enough light, right? And, and we've all been there. Like I need to get up and get some water in the night, but I don't wanna turn on the lights and wake anybody else up. I know my house pretty well, so I'm walking through and bang, coffee table. Bang, leg of the lamp. 
I remember one time when I was preaching in Kentucky uh, and I also worked at, at a Head Start. And so I would be up late uh, many times preparing a sermon, um, doing something. And I'd be hanging out over the church late, but I'd have all the lights off. Um, except the one in my office, because if there was a light on, it wouldn't matter if it was two o'clock in the morning, someone was coming over to talk to me. So I'd have all the lights off except for the one in my office, and I'd try to, one, one time I would walk, was walking my way out, about two o'clock in the morning. And the way it was set up was there, there was a hallway, and then there was a door here uh, that led to the basement, and there was a door here that led to the sanctuary. And I opened the door, the wrong door, uh, the one that I thought was to the sanctuary was to the basement. I took one step and fell all the way down a flight of stairs. Again, I laid there until the next morning. Yeah, why? Because it was dark and I couldn't see. Luckily, I wasn't hurt too bad. I was just in pain. But it happened because there wasn't enough light for me to go. And I thought that I knew where I was going. The second way though would be for there to be enough light, but your eyes not to work properly. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's plenty of light. But if that light in you is dark, if your eyes aren't working, it doesn't really matter how much light there is. If the eyes aren't receiving that light, then the light is useless. And it's still gonna end up bad for your body. That's to say your eyesight, spiritually speaking, is, is an eyesore. If you're spiritually an eyesore, if you're living darkly or you're living a dark life, you're living a, a vindictive life, you're living a petty life, an anxious life, a worried life, um, a life that's full of mistrust or greed or jealousy, like your vision, how you see things is going to be changed. And it's going to not just affect you, it's going to affect your entire body and everybody around you. It's gonna affect everything about your health. It's gonna affect everything about your relationships. And so when we talk about being blind and seeing, of course, in church world, we think of that salvation moment, that, that Paul moment, like he was on the road to Damascus and he hated Christians and he hated Jesus and he was gonna do everything that he could to kill them. And Jesus appeared and, and he was blinded. But then after a conversation with Jesus, a couple of days of repenting, the scales fell off of his eyes and he could see. And he saw everything differently after that. Everything about his life changed. And we think about that as spiritual blindness. And I think a lot of times when we think about those, though, we're forgetting sometimes that I think that there are degrees of blindness. It's more than just I was lost and now I'm found or I was blind and, and now I see or I was uh, wretched and, and now I'm loved. Like, I think there's stages of blindness and stages of growth. Like, I see things spiritually now that I didn't see five years ago or, or 10 years ago. And don't mistake me, like, there has to come a moment, there has to come a time in your life where you accept Jesus as your Savior, where you're immersed in baptism, and you are lost and found, but it doesn't end there. So often in the church and so often in our lives, that's what we think. I made that decision. I did that. I don't need to do any more. When God's saying, no, you're still blinded over here. You're still not seeing the full picture. You're still not seeing everything the way that I have it. So God needs to touch those areas of our lives that are spiritually an eyesore. But unfortunately, whatever's holding you back uh, from experiencing the life that God wants you to, to experience, the problem is so often you can't even see that. You don't even, even know what it is. 
and you're, you're thinking and you're hearing a sermon like this and you're thinking, man, like I, I know I can see the blind spots in other people's lives and I hope my wife hears this or I hope my husband hears this or, or I hope they hear this um, because I don't need it. Like I can see perfectly. We don't see our own blind spots. And listen, here's the thing. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 100 years and I don't care if you've been growing in grace for, for 100 years. There's still more in store for you. You're not done. You're not finished. There's more of God's grace that he wants to expose you to. There's more of his face that he wants to, for you to see. Most of, more of even what's inside of you, listen, that you're capable of. More people to touch, more that he wants to trust you with, more that he wants to do through you. God wants to bless you and to increase you and, and to have his face shine upon you. And I'm telling you, as long as we're living in a fallen world, listen, as long as we're living in a place where there's still explosions that take place and destroy people and cities and and countries, as long as there's still uh, disease that's going to ravage the world, as long as there's people who are still living in in anxiety and worry and fear, as long as there's young girls who who are not eating because they think they can just lose some weight, they'll be pretty like the, the TikTok girls that they see, and that then they'll have worth, and then they'll have meaning. Listen, as long as we live in that world, there's gonna be Christians that need to rise up and share the love of Christ, that share hope, that are kind, that are gracious, that are generous, and that are willing to make a difference instead of make a point. And I'm telling you, God wants you to see more. He wants you to see clearly. He wants you to be aware of, of all the things that you don't see. You know, as I was reading through this uh, book and, and through the scriptures, there's uh, about five areas really of our sight or our eyes that, that ophthalmologists focus on. And Jesus, though, he came, though, to give us vision. He came for us to see. And, and if you don't believe that, um, there's uh, Luke. He tells us what his purpose was in coming, Luke 4, 18. He says, this is, he said, I was anointed to bring the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are being oppressed. And that vision is not just a one-time salvation event vision. It's a constant ongoing act of where he is healing our eyes, where he's opening our eyes so that we can see more of what he wants us to see. And let me tell you, when your eyes hurting, it impacts your whole body. And what, what Jesus said there is true. I remember, and I've never even seen an eye doctor, so I'm not speaking from experience except with my kids. Like Aiden would be getting headaches and, and in school. Why? Because his eyes weren't right. Um, he, he had to go get something done to, to fix his eyes. And so I hope for all of us today that, that our prayer would be, God, help me see. God, open my eyes. Now, there are areas where I know that I'm blind. I'm not sure what those areas are, but I know I'm blind. And God, I want you to show them to me. I don't wanna be content by just getting by, just kind of looking out of one eye. A couple of months ago, Todd was wearing a patch over one eye. I don't don't wanna be patch. But here's five words uh, that deal with eyes that I want us to focus on. First is pressure. Like I didn't know that I did a lot of research on eyes this week because I knew the sermon was gonna be about eyes. But did you know like there is pressure inside your eyeball? 
Like your eye, like normally they say it should be between 10 and 20. And I don't know what they're measuring, but as a pressure check, they say it should be between 10 and 20. And if you don't have that right, my wife's laughing at me who's a nurse and who's been to the eye doctor 4 million times. Um, but, but when we damage our eye uh, and there's bleeding in there or there's something going on in there, uh, what happens is that, that there becomes an unhealthy amount of pressure in our eye. And I didn't know this, but I was studying, like unhealthy pressure in your ears gives you vertigo and kind of makes you dizzy. But it's the same if it happens in your eyes. Like it causes your whole body to, to be affected. And here's the, the parallel. Spiritually speaking, we live in a world of pressure. We live in a world of, of stress. Like there's so much pressure. We're being bombarded by pressure to perform, pressure to succeed, pressure in school, pressure in sports, pressure in family. We have pressures when we're posting things in life. Every, everywhere we go, every place we go, there, there's pressure. Maybe it's the pressure of health, things that can suddenly go sideways. Like we're there, we have to deal with pressure. And, and here's my question for you. What do you do when you feel that pressure? Because that's what's important. What, what do you do? It's there, but what do you do? Do you lash out at other people? Like, do you feel like you're, you're entitled because you're having a bad day to be mean to someone? Like, do you freak out? Do you worry and stress over it? You just completely let it cause you to run around and round and round and round in your mind until you're in a downward spiral? Do you medicate it? Oh, I'm feeling the pressure. I'm gonna alleviate it with some spending or, or some drinking or this mindless entertainment to take my mind off of what it could be. Like, it can be easy. So what do you do when you feel the pressure? Do you, do you do those things or do you worship and do you thrive and do you evolve and do you grow? Because here's the thing. The pressure's not going away. It's going to be there. And like a submarine, like that would be crushed like a tin can of the pressure of the ocean. You know, you know how it's not? It builds up pressure on the inside. And the pressure on the inside is greater to or equal to the pressure that, that's around them. Like you and I can't do anything about the pressure that's in this world. COVID or not, listen, there's pressure and there's always going to be pressure. And the solution is not try to get rid of the external pressure, but rather to have a greater source of inward pressure. Pressure that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why Jesus, when you read the Bible, oftentimes you'll find Jesus uh, retreating to a secluded place to spend time with God. Before the crazy trial began and he was getting ready to, to, to be crucified, where did he go? He went to the garden to spend time alone with God and pray. And as I was reading the Gospel of John, it was interesting to me. Never stuck out with me before. That Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray because the pressure was coming. You know, he needed to get alone and, and to pray. But it says this in the Gospel of John, this part of the, that Judas knew where to go to betray him because Jesus often went there with his disciples. Like Judas knew exactly where to go. Why? Because Jesus had this pattern of going there and praying when the pressure of the outside was getting to him. It was a place that Jesus frequented. Why? Because it was a location where he could build up the pressure on the inside so that the pressure on the outside wouldn't crush him. So don't try and get rid of the pressure. Like, good luck with that. You can fight all day trying to get rid of the pressure in this world. In this world, you'll have pressure. It's gonna be difficult but what you need to do is get more pressure on the inside by spending time in the word of God, like Kyle said earlier. Pressure. Number two is trauma. 
I was talking about that with Todd this week, actually, and, and he told me that, that the doctor could still see trauma in his eye that was caused when he was hit with a slipper as a kid. That he got mad and his sister threw a slipper at him and damaged his eye. And all these years later, like the eye doctor can still see the trauma that was there. Now, the visible evidence is gone. Like you can look at Todd and you can't, you can't see any, any trauma with it right now. But there's still this lingering impact of, of the trauma. And some of you today, like being around you, like listen, none of us could tell the trauma that you've experienced because all of the physical evidence is gone. It, it may no longer be there, but there's still an impact on you. And that's that word trauma. It could be hardship from your childhood. It could be difficulty, uh, difficult things that you went through that, that none of us would know about. And there's trauma that comes from things that we face in this life, the things that we endure, the things that we, we go through. And again, the question is, what do we do? How, what do we do or, to, or allow the trauma to accomplish in our lives? Because it's gonna have an, an effect. Like you can't get hit by a train and not have to have an experience of change. And these things in life, the, the grief, the the, the sexual assault, the hard challenge of watching a parent pack up a vehicle and not choose to live with your family anymore. Like you've gone through hard things. They're real, they're painful, they hurt, it's trauma. It's gonna have an impact on your life and it's gonna have an impact on my life. The question is, what will that impact be? Will we become a bitter person? Will we allow the worst day of our life to define who we are? Or will we allow God to heal that trauma and allow the scar that remains, because it'll be there, but allow it to be a symbol and a sign of what God has done in our lives victoriously, of what God has brought us through. And now that you're actively and eagerly looking for, for ways that you can help others in a similar situation. You know, Paul talked about that in, in Corinthians. He says that the God of all comfort will comfort you when you're going through those trying times. And here's why I said he would do it, so that you may comfort others when they have that need as well. You see, we're all impacted by trauma. And we can choose how we let that affect us. It can be in a positive way. A lot of us are, are trying to, to walk through life and live life like the trauma didn't happen, which that leads to so many problems. Masking a deep hurt or, or deep wound that'll never heal it. Pretending it's not there, ignoring it, hoping it'll go away. Listen, it's not going away. It will manifest itself somehow bubbling up out of the surface in another way. The question is, will you let it find its way out in a joy-filled, helpful way that'll allow you to change the way God wants you to? That'll allow you to be changed in a proper way? Because what you went through is going to change you. Why wouldn't it? But be changed for the better and positioned to allow God to work in a massive way in your life. Some of you think that, that the problem and the reason you are the way you are, listen, is the hardest thing that you've ever gone through. I just wanna let you know that's not true. It's never the thing you went through. 
It's always the way that you see the thing that you went through. How you think about the thing that you went through. So don't pretend the trauma didn't happen. Just let God fix you with some new lenses. Listen, lean into what God is trying to do in your life, even through the hardest thing you've ever faced. Because he always turns trash into triumph. And he turns suffering into victory. He, he, he turns graves into gardens that we sing about. Our God is a good God who's able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Even the trauma that you've experienced. Even the hurt and the pain that you've been through. Third word is focus. Here's my question. What are, what are you focusing on? What means the most to you in this life? And what's your, your go-to when you lose control? When things are out of control, where do you go? If you're like many, you end up like uh, Snoop Dogg with my mind on my money and my money on my mind, right? You're focusing on it. You say, well, that's a weird connection, bringing Snoop Dogg in. Actually, it's not, because the reason Jesus told this parable of the lamp in Matthew chapter six is in fact because he was trying to teach on money. He said, in fact, the verse right before verse, in verses 20 and 21, he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he immediately said, the lamp is the eye, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what he's saying is that, hey, your body can't be healthy. Your life can't be healthy if you're staring at the unhealthiest thing that you can stare at, which is just money. And that's where your treasure is. That's where your heart's at. Because listen, your money is not a good God. Your money can't save you. Your money can buy you nice things. But guess what? It can't help your marriage. It can't help you fix your relationship with your son. It can't actually change anything about your heart. And then the sneakiest thing about money and the reason uh, that he connects it to being blind and, and thinking that you can see and you can't is because money sins like, uh, unlike any other sin. Like you can do money sins without even knowing you're doing them. That's creepy. Which is why in Luke chapter 12, he says, watch out for the greediness in your life. Watch out for it. Now, why would he say watch out for greediness? He doesn't say that about murder. Watch out, watch out for murder. Like, no, most sins that you know you're doing them while you're doing them. It's like, oh, you're, you're not my wife. Like, you're committing adultery. You know that. You know you're stealing. You know you're telling a lie. But you can accidentally fall into greediness. Why? Because there's a deceitfulness to it. And your eyes will trick you. And all of a sudden, you're making unhealthy decisions. You're focusing undue attention on this or on that. You're looking for this to bring you true joy. You're looking for it to define you, to, to something to have your identity in. Like we all think if I had that, I'd be happy. Or if I had what she had, I'd be happy. If I could afford the things that, that they can afford, I, I, would be, I would be happy. And we're looking at people who have this standard of happiness thing going on. And we're thinking, man, if I could just have what they have, I'd be happy. But you know what those people that we're looking up to have? They have the same thought. If I could just have what they have, I'd be happy too. Because it's deceiving what, what, when we focus on our money, what it can do to us. And so what you spend your money on reveals your values. What you spend your money on actually gives a map of your heart. Someone said, if you wanna find out what's really the most important thing to you, 
and where your true riches are, what's the easiest thing for you to spend money on? Yeah, it's not hard. Like the money basically just grows wings and flies right out of your purse. Like that's the thing that shows your passion. It shows what you truly care about. And it's not to say that you shouldn't care about traveling or you shouldn't care about uh, buying a boat or, or, or a vacation or, or whatever else that you have as your financial goal. But it's to say that when it comes to the kingdom of God and heaven and being the hands and feet of Jesus and seeing his church built and seeing hungry people fed and seeing people get the gospel, if the idea of giving your tithe and, and your offering and even above that um, to, to extend the kingdom, if that's like pulling teeth, if your attitude is like, I used to hate to preach on money because people would get so mad about it. I used to hate to talk about it at all. And then I realized that, hey, you know what? Well, the reason they're mad is because I'm attacking their idol. I'm attacking their treasure. I'm attacking the thing that means the most to them. And, and if talking about it offends you, then maybe you've got a heart problem. How can you say that your heart is truly anchored in heaven if the hardest money that you ever spend is what you give to the church? How can you truly say that God and his kingdom matter more to you than anything else? So it's a test of what you truly value. So as you take the, the test, and again, I said we're in a time of testing. As we te test ourselves, locate our one true God. And the way that we can locate him is to find out where our finances are going. So focus, trauma, pressure. Uh, the fourth one is dilation. And dilation, what I found is it's all about how much light is coming in, actually. How much light's coming in, too much or too little? And they're both mistakes at the wrong time. You know, if I want to see stars, I need my pupils to get really, really dilated so that they can take in more light. But if I'm in a bright environment right now, like this light, like I don't need that much dilation because it's already bright. And I just looked up into it and now they're all out of whack. So I can't even see. But spiritually speaking, there's a parallel. God wants to open our, our hearts and to open our eyes so that we can let more light in. Listen, we don't necessarily need more light. Jesus said, the light, I am the light of the world. He's already come into the world. He's already given us all of the light that we need. He's right there in your home. He's right there in your car. He's right there in, in your job. He's there. The problem is not that there's not enough light. The problem is that our eyes need to be dilated enough to let the light in. You need to open your eyes to see what, what he wants to be doing in your life, to remember that he is right there with you, to remember that he's always for you, to remember that you can't go anywhere that he is not there to remember that he loves the people that even you're annoyed by. Ephesians chapter one, Paul would say this prayer. He says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. It's not that, that, that we need more light. We just need to let more light in. The question is, are you letting God dilate the pupils of your soul by spending time in his word? by spending time with his people, by spending time in the church where you're able to listen to God's word to, together? Are you doing the things that will dilate the pupils of your soul? And the last word is this, is brilliance. Brilliance. It's intensely brighter, it's, it's vivid. Psalm 13, three, and I love this, David wrote this. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. He says, restore the sparkle of my eye or I will die. Restore the sparkle to my eye or I will die. Listen, church, 
God doesn't want to just bring sight to your eyes. He wants to bring the sparkle back to your eyes. He doesn't want your eyes to be dull and, and glossed over. He doesn't want your eyes to be flat and faded and chronically tired and given over to stress and worry. He wants your eyes shining, shining with hope and with, with purpose and resolve, like full of, full of wonder and full of passion. He wants you to wake up with, with that excitement of what's going to happen today. What, what does God have planned for my life today? He wants our life to be an adventure where there's a sparkle. Listen, when did you lose the sparkle in your eye? And do you realize that Jesus doesn't only want, Jesus wants to restore the joy of your salvation? So how do you get the sparkle back? How do you get it back? How, how do I stop being so, so jaded, so skeptical, so, so cynical? To, how do I stop thinking that everybody's out to get me and, and thinking about all the wrong things? And how do I stop living this, this life as a victim? The answer, I believe, is here. It comes from embracing fully the extravagant love that God has for you, that, that he loves you. Remembering the fact, listen, that he doesn't just love you, that he actually likes you. And he rejoiced the day that you gave your heart to him. Listen, there's not a politician, there's not a job. Like no one can offer you that true lasting sparkle in your eye. And I'm not talking just, just for an evening, but for a lifetime and into eternity. There is not a drug, there's not a, a paycheck, there's not a vacation, there, there's not a person that can offer that sparkle into your eye. And not just for a year, not just for a month, but I'm talking about for a lifetime. Like even when you're old and when you're sick, when you're dying, like there can still be that sparkle in your eye that comes from the love that the creator of the world has for you. You think, well, why would he do that for me? Most of us are looking at our life, even, even as Christians. Think, man, I, I, I don't think my life for God is that great. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual eyesore. Listen, don't forget that he still looks at you and every time he sees you, it's like the first time he says, you're a sight for sore eyes. Like, I, I love seeing you. As you know, I'll know I became a grandpa in, in October and I love my kids, they're awesome. Uh, Kate and they're gonna have to take her back to college soon and, and Jayla's off in um, wherever she's at, I can't remember. Um, and Aiden's <laughs> back there running the computer, I, I can't even see him and, and I love them. Man, there's something about Amelia, my granddaughter, that when I see her, like my eyes just light up. Like, and I start acting all goofy and, and stupid and making funny noises at her, but, but there's just a sparkle in my eye. And listen, your heavenly father feels that way about you. And when you stop resisting that kind of love and you stop trying to earn that love and instead you just let him smother you with those kisses and let him wrap his arms around you and let him say to you, hey, you're a sight for sore eyes, your life will then begin to transform because of that love from the inside out. So church, listen, set your eyes on pleasing him. Set your eyes on him as you run this race and you'll realize that there's an incredible power that comes when your heart is set on him. His eyes are actually scanning looking for opportunities to bless any of his kids who are putting their eyes on him. He's a good, good father, and he loves you. I'm gonna ask you to stand and pray. Father God, today, as we 
stand before you. Some of us feeling like dry bones, some of us feeling like we've lost everything, some of us feeling like there is, is no hope. Some of us completely on the opposite side. But God, we, we know the love that you have for us. Father, I pray today that all of us, no matter where we're at, that God, you would reveal the blind spots to us, that you would open our eyes and fill it with the love that, that you have for us and the light that you've made available through Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray that as we walk through this world, that our eyes would be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the very joy endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that we could have life. God, I pray that we would live in that love. Thank you for being a good, good father. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.